Hi, this is Amrita Sukumar and I am bringing to you this podcast called Unsettling. Look around you. Everyone is trying to create their own story. Make a tiny change in someone's life by just following their passion and in turn inspiring the others to follow suit. This podcast brings to you stories of people who have defied the definition of settled set by the society and have created their own. They have found happiness in their version of settled. Nobody knows about the beginning of time, but we sure know how to tell time thanks to the clocks and watches around us. But did you know that watchmaking and clock making is an art which is called horology? I definitely didn't. So to know more about clock making and whether I'm pronouncing horology right, I have my next guest with me all the way from Bangalore, Mr. Dilip Sivaraman. Hey Dilip, how are you? I'm good. I'm good, Amrita. How are you? I'm good too. Uh, which clock have you been making nowadays? Um, well, I'm making a gato for a client right now. Okay. As we speak. So. Okay, yeah. that's yeah. We will be talking more in detail about gato for sure. Um, sure. But uh, the first question I would like to ask you is: When did you find your love for clock making? That's one thing. I mean, I'm not sure if I've always been in love with horology or. was there some sort of a trigger you know which uh, kind of caused me to start doing this but uh-huh. i don't know so when i kind of look back it must have been i must have been about 10 and oh. uh, i remember my grandfather's uh, hmt you know mm-hmm. and it had this word automatic written on it i kind of asked him what did it mean and he told me like what it actually does that it's a mechanical clock uh-huh. it just kind of wound itself with the movement of his hand now that totally blew me away you know i mean i was like how can something just power itself right like without electricity and just show you time you know i mean that 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 totally blew me away oh that is it was like it was like yeah and <laughs> it was the 80s and there was no internet we had like one channel on tv so the exposure also was kind of limited you know correct and then i started seeing these ads of rolex and omegas and everything on those national geographic magazines uh-huh. and then i used to ask around you know about these watches where you could get them how much mm-hmm. they costed and everything right. even uh-huh. as a child so i really started getting fascinated about these mechanical watches you know after that okay so yeah and it wasn't common place you know to find these rolex stores like you see them now mm-hmm. at least in the 80s uh, right. things were quite middle class around in india i mean so uh, <laughs> yeah so you really didn't see you didn't get much of exposure about these watches then that is true that is true and uh, you know actually i did not know about this self wound clocks at all uh, till i grew okay. up uh, because Sorry. when i grew up is when i saw all these things because uh, i think by the time i was like 5 to 6 years old there was already these quartz clocks had already come up and you know battery operated clocks had already come up so i i yeah, had yeah. never seen something like that and when i did see it's of course something that makes you curious but not as much as you were uh, <laughs> so that is something that is something that definitely interesting yeah yeah because a lot of times these things just get lost in the background you know yeah. so i think uh, yeah you really need a keen observation i think sometimes to actually and a lot of things. interest which you do have yeah yeah i mean i i have a lot of interest on a lot of things i mean even if you take a nail cutter or a scissor or whatever i just go into the details and see how it is Achha. made or whatever so yeah oh so you are the kind of uh, person who know uh, who dismantle something to know how it works 
yes yes i like and I, i also like the softer aspects of things you know like the heritage of a brand all these things really kind of matter to me okay i mean the the romance behind every little thing uh-huh. how it is made who made it oh okay so that yeah. detail <laughs> yeah dilip i have read about you like almost for okay. half a day preparing for these questions for this episode oh, wow. okay and i am sure that i still don't know even 0.1% of the different different aspects of clock making but i okay. also read that you figured out the intricacies of clock making on your own how did that happen i mean i actually didn't have a choice um so when i set about building a clock uh-huh. um there's there's very little material that you can get it's not like you can go join a school and learn how to do it okay so i mean thanks to internet that we are blessed with <laughs> today i mean you can get a lot of information out there you know yes uh, of the internet but um again the information is quite limited you know because it's it's kind of a you could almost say it's like a lost or dying art mm-hmm. um so there's very little information out there you really have to do a lot of digging to get all the info you know yes but then yeah you can you can kind of learn um, okay everything about it yeah okay how much time did it take for you to uh, understand the intricacies you know what i mean honestly i mean i'm still learning uh, okay. there's still so much to be learned there's never a you could never say of you know everything about it so i okay. see it took me about a year and a half to build my first clock year and a half okay yeah, yeah. i mean that included learning to work with power tools machines uh-huh. um, i mean learning about the fundamentals of watches and clocks and then develop a movement of my own all that put together okay so it takes a lot of time because um, honestly i read about it and I- I I didn't understand half of it. I just read about planetary gears and a lot of things so that I don't uh, sound, you know, um someone who does not know much about clocks when I'm interviewing. No, no, you don't you, you really don't need to know all that much. I mean, yeah, yeah, because as far as uh, yeah, as far as um uh, people outside the industry are concerned, I mean, you yeah. just need to like uh, un- I mean, understand the fundamental of it, uh, um know what a mechanical watch or a clock means. Uh-huh. Uh, that's enough i mean it's it's for us horologists to uh, take all the headache of how to build it you know yes i i decided to do that after that you know i i mean i read for <laughs> half a day and then i'm like okay if i go into more details i might have to dismantle a clock myself and then understand what is going on inside and that why not i think you should totally do it <laughs> <laughs> i will i will definitely do it if i find a grandfather clock like you did and <laughs> i will do so but not right now i don't think i'm that interested and if i do some dismantling at home i will definitely hear it from my father so that's something i don't want to do <laughs> uh, so dilip you said that you like dismantling before understanding uh, how anything works so how many clocks did yeah. you dismantle before you figured out the mechanism of a clock uh, see you know it's it's quite funny um uh see i it all started like i just wanted a wall clock okay and uh, Uh, preferably a old mechanical wall clock i bought one uh-huh. online okay and it just wouldn't work you know uh at, at least when i when i hung it on my wall it wouldn't work and i was like trying to figure out what is wrong i mean mm. then i started looking up online as to what could be done about it mm. i i got a guy to repair it 
Hmm. It worked at his place. It didn't work in my wall, you know. <laughs> and, and that's okay. that's when I was like, okay, let's just open it up and start learning about it, you know. <laughs> and then that's it. Like it's it, it was literally like, like opening a can of worms, you know. I opened it and. there you go like i wanted to lear- learn how the fundamentals of it work uh-huh. and then uh went online started reading about it and then i figured this movement isn't exactly the gr- a great one you know it was like one of those mass produced movements right then i started figuring out where you could get one of those f- uh-huh. really fine movements and then i figured that nobody makes them anymore that, that's when i oh. started like my, i might as well like just start designing one myself uh-huh um you know learning how it works Right. Then I thought, okay, I wanted to understand what this escapement was all about. Mm-hmm. Well, escapement is actually like the heart of a watch or a clock, you know. Okay. Then I started designing it. Then I thought, like, uh, okay, now I need to build it. Then I mm-hmm. figured, like, three D printing was had suddenly taken over everywhere. So I, I thought, like, I'll send it for three D printing. I three D printed the escapement, oh. a much larger oh. version, so that I could understand how an escapement works. Okay. I got it printed. I tested it. It was working, but it wasn't working to my satisfaction. Mm-hmm. I kept revising it. Next thing you know, is I wanted to uh, turn it into a proper functioning metal one. Okay. Then, wow. yeah. Then I had to learn machining. Uh-huh. I went to a school, joined a machining school, started learning how to mill, how to work with a lathe. Oh. Then I bought a lathe. You know, I mean. <laughs> So for somebody who wanted to wanted a wall clock to buy a lathe to build a wall clock, well, I know it's a bit far, exactly. but exactly, yeah. So I never stopped myself from doing what I felt like doing, you know, and it paid off. I mean, I was finally happy. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, definitely. But I mean, normal people would just like go to a watchmaker and tell him, "Hey, if you can fix it, it's fine. Otherwise, it's okay. Let's like get rid of it." But you went into the details yeah. and you figured everything out and got the machinery to get everything fixed. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> funnily, like all those machines were sitting on my dining table. My, it's it's amazing that my wife was like totally tolerant of all those things. <laughs> Eventually, it just went totally out of proportion. I actually had to get another place. Rent. I started renting another place where I could move these machines. Okay. Ah, uh, yeah, which still continues to be my studio. Acha. How long has yeah. it been? Well, now it's been what five and a half years, six years. Six years. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, Dilip, what are the types of clocks you made? Uh, can you give a brief description of gato? I I hope I'm pronouncing it right. One is gato. One is yeah, gato. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. a and precision regular regulator clock, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the precision regulator is still on the drawing board. I mean, I still haven't like uh, really found the time to. Um, okay. You know, uh, take Bring the prototype to life. Uh, to life yet. Quite busy at the moment. Uh-huh. So. Uh, gato is the first clock that I actually made. Yeah. Um, so gato is basically a floor standing. It's like a grandfather clock, you know. Mm-hmm. A little bit unconventional. I mean, it's a floor standing clock. Right. And uh, it's a or a tall case movement, as some people call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's about seven feet tall. Oh my god. It's got a. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and it's got a uh, second pendulum you know which means it takes about 1 second to move to one side and come back that's what oh, a second okay. pendulum is <laughs> and it's it's kind of a standard you know in for regulator clocks or precision clocks mm-hmm. a second pendulum 
because he, i mean each tick and talk that you hear is one second long okay okay so i mean many of the smaller clocks that you have in your uh, uh, in uh, at homes hmm. they they would tick much faster than that okay i did not know this yeah so uh, so gato's got a second spindle mm-hmm. and it's a tall one and lisco on the other hand is a much shorter wall clock okay so i mean what had happened was like because i was kind of um uh, you know totally into the movement and learning how to make clocks and mm-hmm. stuff like that I was like to, and i mean the entire movement was my own mm-hmm. so i was like so so into it and uh was uh, i i mean that i really wanted to showcase the movement you know when i built the clock right so what had happened was the movement became a very skeletal movement Mm-hmm. So, so well, Gato's got a skeletal movement. So, uh, yeah. skeletal movement is one where uh, you kind of see the entire movement. It's totally naked. You know, you don't have a mm-hmm. dial that covers up the movement behind. Correct. Um, because I put in so much effort into it, it was my first movement. I was so proud of it and everything. Mm-hmm. I really wanted to showcase the movement. Okay. So that's the reason Gato has a very a skeletal movement. A lot of people love it because it it's very yeah. clear that it's a mechanical clock because it's skeletal, you know. Yes. Cuz if you have a dial, you don't know what's going on behind it because you don't know if it's a battery powering it or whatever. Here it's like yes. there's much more clarity, right, of what's going on. <laughs> so so well, so Gato is a skeletal movement. Now with Lisco, which is my second clock, what I did was uh I made it non skeletal i mean it's totally covered up because i wanted to do something just the opposite of what i had done for gato because mm-hmm. gato of course i i gotten really carried away with making the movement i was like super in love with it every little screw is <laughs> well designed in it so i yeah. wanted to like really show it off but uh-huh. but the 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 legibility took a little bit of a beating you know which is okay mm-hmm. i mean if you want really legible uh, uh way, way way to read time you have your mobile you know correct but I mean, here it's a it's a it's a commemoration for craftsmanship, right? I mean, that's what mm-hmm. you're really trying to do. Mm-hmm. So, which is perfectly fine. So, with Lisco, I wanted to focus on legibility. So, the movement is not uh, skeletal in it. You have a dial, and you mm-hmm. even have a, a case which totally covers up the pendulum, even you know. Because I'm Lisco, I've kind of focused on a modern small apartment, you know, where there's so right. much going on in your life. You don't want a pendulum also taking more of your brain space, you know. <laughs> So is- you know it's got a pendulum behind it. It's a mechanical working movement, huh. but it's not loud. You know, it's just it's totally subtle and shows you the time really loud and clear. Right. So basically, there are two different animals. You know, Lisco and mm-hmm. Gato. Yes, I've seen pictures of both. I love both of them. Uh, mm-hmm. I love Lisco, which is the smaller version. I think Lisco is a wall clock. More, it's it's not a floor clock. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And Gato is a floor. It's also very skinny. Yeah, it's very skinny. Are the mechanisms different, or the way they work? Is yeah, the mechanisms are completely different. Right. So Lisco has got a much simpler mechanism. Mm-hmm. Um, Gato is very complex it, that way. Yeah, if I read it right, it's some uh, pulley mechanism. If if I'm not wrong. This. No, in uh, in uh, Lisco, uh, mm-hmm. um, so what I've done is I've inverted the uh, clock movement. It's a uh, um, usually. when you open up a uh, regulator clock you have the escapement right on top mm-hmm. and you have the the winding key at the bottom you know okay 
And so, but in Lisco, it's inverted. You have the escapement at the bottom and the winding key goes to the top. Okay. This actually helped me make the movement much thinner. <laughs> so the idea in Lisco was to make it really skinny, mm -hmm. yet mechanical and hang it on a wall. Because yeah. like I said, I mean, it's, it's meant for a really small apartment and everything, you know, in cases mm -hmm. like that. So, I mean, I didn't want to make it too fat. And <laughs> so that's why the... Uh, the inverted movement so it, it's kind of nice looking you know because skinny yes. and tall sticks to a wall that's the reason i've called it lisco even because lisco, lisco in finnish lizard. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. it means <laughs> i've done my research yeah. okay <laughs> gato means uh if i am i remember right it means a cat in spanish yeah 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 yeah, yeah. it is a cat Yes, so I, I did my research. See, I'm telling you, I did half a day of research. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Thank you. I'm taking credit. So, um, honestly, I would like to say that both the clocks look absolutely amazing. I've seen Gato. I understand when you said that, you know, uh, it's a skeleton kind of structure. And that's the beauty yeah. of it. You can see how the yeah. entire thing functions. And uh, honestly, it's museum worthy. That's what I feel. Oh, thanks a lot. Okay. You can keep it yeah. in a museum. There can be people who come and see the entire thing. Anybody who's really interested in horology and understands what is happening in the back, uh, they would absolutely yeah, yeah. love it. It's actually wonderful. I really loved it. Um, so, um, Dilip, how well is clockmaking received in India? Is it uh, still uh, an art form that is well received or it's something still coming up? It's... Uh... See, I'm not too sure if people probably knew the value of it once upon a time when mechanical horology was the only way to tell time. Right. I mean, you didn't have a choice. right? Mm -hmm. So, and I'm sure, I mean, early last century, I mean, uh, I've even heard that uh, the Indian royalty were big patrons of uh, horology and they've really uh, been patrons of Swiss uh, watchmaking, you know. Mm -hmm. So that way, India has had a contribution, not from making watches point of view, but at least buying point of view. Yeah. Yeah. But then, I mean, post-independence and, um, you know, post-70s, 80s and everything, I, I think uh, after the Quartz revolution happened, I think people mm -hmm. have kind of, uh, uh, I don't know, they've been kind of detached from mechanical horology for quite some time. It's not just in India, it's all over the world. Mm -hmm. but. At least the rest of the world, people have, uh, the interest is uh, caught back on. You know? mm -hmm. But India is kind of, it's still a bit of a niche thing. You know, there's a, there's a niche that kind of understands, uh, um, you, you, people call it autorology, you know, or uh, mm -hmm. mechanical horology. I mean, it's a, it's a very niche thing in India. You know, there are very few people that actually know what's going on. Mm. So if you're, uh, so Amrita, if your if your question is, are Indian parents going to be okay with their kids taking yes. up horology for a profession? I wouldn't yes. really know uh, because I I understand that's the hidden <laughs> this thing under this uh, in this question, but uh, I really wouldn't know because it, it, see it's not something that probably interests a lot of people, right? So they probably right. don't think uh, there's going to be much of a uh, scope mm -hmm. uh, in these kind of professions. But yeah, that shouldn't be a factor in deciding what you want to do at all. You know? I mean, that is true. There's room for all kinds of uh, crafts and arts and everything in this world. And I think you should, people should totally take it up if they, uh, you know, want mm -hmm. to do it. 
I completely agree because uh, you know mechanical clock making is not something everybody knows. Even I was unaware of it until I read about you. So since there is a gap, there's a knowledge gap. I feel if that gap is yeah. filled somewhere, maybe people will be more interested in this craft. But for now, it's still a niche craft, as you said. There's still time, or there's still. Um, I mean, there should be a lot more interest in people. that that has to be created before you know parents say hey it's okay if you get into clock making yeah yeah yeah, yeah i know i th- i think it's uh, but yeah i wouldn't be surprised in another 20 30 years you will have a lot of independent watch making coming out of india also yes. and i wouldn't be surprised if that were the case because <laughs> uh, yeah i think you need to go that full circle you know people need to um, i mean Right. most of india's yet to see that abundance right uh, yeah. so once you've seen that then you want what is beyond what is normal right <laughs> and this is when these kind of uh, things are really going to kick in so i mean uh, uh, for me um, independent neurology is all about uh, the movement itself you know it's not just a cosmetic thing mm-hmm. uh, it shouldn't just be about uh, um, the way something looks i mean people should also go into the uh, into the depths of it even what you don't see is very important you know Right. In watchmaking, they call it like uh, in-house movements, or that—that's really what defines a a good watch or a clock, you know. So world over, in a lot of these people that uh, follow up mechanical horology, this mm-hmm. is something that has kind of become a bit of a sought-after requirement in watches and clocks, you know, that the company makes in-house movements. Yes, that cannot be copied by someone else because that is unique to your style and. Uh, and not only that, like, see, you can't have a a, a Toyota with a Maruti engine inside it, right? <laughs> I mean, it, does, it, it kills the whole fun, you know. I mean, yes, it uh, it's not pure enough. Agree. So brands have to get there, you know. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. So uh, to get there is a lot of effort, and I think that patience is there only in a few, which you also have, and mm-hmm. that is how you mm-hmm. reached. Um, AHCI that was the competition yeah so that so the AHCI is like a organization of these independent watchmakers uh-huh um i mean they're based in switzerland yes so i think there are about 30 to 40 members in it so mm-hmm. the um, all these uh, all these uh, watchmakers they make everything by hand you know mm-hmm. and uh, they what people call independent watchmakers i mean so they, they're not they're totally detached from the corporate uh, scene okay so they still uh, uh, try to practice the 400 year old watchmaking tradition you know where they make everything by hand mm-hmm. okay so see if one of them dies it's not like uh, there's they, someone else is going to continue making their watches like it's it's <laughs> they're like an artist you know when picasso right. died it's not like their kids can take over the business right <laughs> yes so, that is yeah so that should be the scene you know that should be the way uh, this profession is practiced okay so uh, that brings me to the question you keep on saying that you know there is a lot of in house movement that you create so in such a scenario as you said that this is not something that can be carried forward and someone else can learn it so how difficult is it or how easy it is to maintain the clock by somebody who buys it from you by the customer um see the principally it's not very very different right <laughs> so i mean just about anybody um, you know, any 
person that services a clock or watch should be able to fix it okay i mean in case there is anything uh, you know um, anything needs to be serviced or whatever uh-huh. and in any case like for me the uh, maintainability or uh, uh, um, or the longevity of the movement has been of extreme significance you know uh-huh. so w- what i have done here is i kind of looked into uh, where exactly in the movement where, what exactly in the movement degrades over time right so my focus was into that initially you know and mm-hmm. i wanted to make sure that these things don't degrade ever <laughs> so i basically want my clocks to continue ticking like hundreds of years you know <laughs> so i wanted to make sure they are like of heirloom quality and this maintaining issue never happens because over time another 100 years there are probably less people that know how to fix these things right correct yes so how do you make sure it continues ticking at that time mm-hmm. so i've kind of made sure that uh, i use everything modern mm-hmm. to kind of uh, avoid having any problem in the future for instance like um, um, in older clocks there's a lot of wear um, in these uh, pivots you know pivots and bushes mm-hmm. i mean these are uh, i mean see all the gears in a clock are called wheels okay okay and the wheels sit on an arbor mm-hmm. which is the shaft mm-hmm. and they go into these little holes and what happens is the part that goes into these little holes is called a pivot so okay. people usually oil those areas you know so that they kept like totally uh, um um you know friction free and everything mm-hmm. so what happens is over time uh these areas right these holes that keep getting larger they become oval shaped and everything mm-hmm. because of the movement yeah. so I mean, so that's exactly where the wear happens you know so in my case like i've i've i don't have any of these uh, pivots sitting into holes I, i've got ball bearings for all these areas mm-hmm. so they take a lot more beating you know compared to traditional pivots okay so what happens is uh, so you don't even have to oil them okay <laughs> so in the future if if ever there is a problem you just remove this ball bearing and put another one in place you know and this oh. thing will continue ticking okay that's amazing and plus yeah and plus you don't have to oil it so oil usually attracts a lot of grit and that kind of increases the wear mm-hmm. so here you avoid all those things you know okay so you are creating something that is uh, that has nine lives i think that is why it's called gato <laughs> yeah 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 so it will continue living you know so Yeah, if a whole generation stops using it for a while, another generation just decides to start the clock, it'll just start ticking, you know. So that's how I wanted this to be. Yes. So the only place where there is no ball bearing is uh, something called a pallet in the escapement, mm-hmm. and there I'm using a ruby. So um, and again, uh, there's no oiling there, you know. So okay. Um, so basically, uh, it, it all runs dry. Mm-hmm. so there is going to be very little um, maintenance required in these clocks okay thank you for explaining that to me because i i wouldn't have understood it by reading a lot of things oh so um, well you're creating something that is long lasting you found the kinks and the problems that were there in the older clocks and you try to fix it to make sure that this thing did not happen again yeah yeah 
so for me buying that clock and hanging it on my wall and that thing not moving right for me that was all the inspiration i didn't want anybody else to go through this ever again you know so <laughs> right yeah. so you fixed all the problem you don't even have to go and get it fixed it fixes itself so it just fixes it yeah don't worry it's just going to last for 100 years maximum you'll have to change one small thing anyone can do it for you no problem yeah even that i don't know maybe in another 100 years if i were alive i which i doubt uh, yeah. uh, you know uh, i would know <laughs> so okay yeah <laughs> we will keep track we will make sure that yeah, yeah please do <laughs> uh, so um how much time did it take To, for you to create your first accurately designed clock so um it took me about a year and a half mm-hmm. and uh, so and then of course um, this is so that ahci basically had a competition you know for young watchmakers and clock makers mm-hmm. and all that stuff this is in 2016 so i wanted to be up and ready for that competition okay that's when i created the first one mm-hmm. and now i spent another year year and a half again to perfect this you know because there were like a lot of teething issues okay so um i mean things that i knew had to make i had to make it better so i did spend a lot of time um you know doing that that took mm-hmm. another year year and a half so yeah one and a half years total yeah one, one and a half, half like yeah. yeah okay i'm not getting into this for sure <laughs> <laughs> I do not have that kind of patience. <laughs> yeah, but you could always do it while do you doing something else, which is what I did. I I I mean I did have a I, I mean I did have a career, yes, a primary career while I was doing all these things and I still managed to do it on the side, you know. So, I mean, yeah. It's oh. something you can do. I'm already doing the podcast on the side, no? I don't think Okay. <laughs> 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 yeah, I already have the side business in place. So just Okay, great, great. Lucky you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I I think I can say the same about you. Lucky you, man. You've got a career. Okay, thank you. <laughs> so great. So um what do you make sure that what do you do to make sure that the clock movement is accurate even in varying temperatures because our country has varying temperatures from Bangalore to Kashmir. so yeah so um uh, so i i i mean i i may have to get a little bit uh, technical here okay so uh, uh see in a in a clock right it's uh-huh. the it's the pendulum that regulates the time okay okay like if a pendulum goes back and forth um uh you know in the mm-hmm. exact same amount of time mm-hmm. you know your your clock would be accurate okay and and what decides how long a pendulum has to go back and forth it's the length of it oh okay yeah i mean it, it's not the weight um um contrary to how you might imagine it's not the like, weight it's actually the length of it uh-huh. so like a 1 meter long pendulum takes about a second to go back and forth you know Hmm. from equilibrium so that's what decides now during summers the rod tends to get a little longer oh when it gets longer it gets slower you know mm-hmm. and during winters it's the other way around again hmm. so uh so 
uh, my clocks the pendulums are all uh, compensated temperature compensated uh, um, which means uh, what essentially happens is when the rod, get, rod gets longer there is a compensator at the end okay that will push the bob bob is that weight no which is circular mm-hmm. in shape mm-hmm. i mean it could be circular it could be a cylindrical whatever but it it this this compensator would push the bob back in its center of gravity you know okay which means the center of gravity of the pendulum will always be at the same point okay so that way it is kind of it it compensates for changes in temperature and this bob kicks in when there is a temperature change, when there is a length change yeah when there is a length change uh, the compensator expands upwards like pendulum okay. rod expands downwards mm-hmm. and the and at the at the bottom of the pendulum rod you have a compensator which expands upwards so it okay. compensates for it okay so Got it moves the bob bob which is a weight at mm-hmm. the tip of the pendulum that's called the bob it mm-hmm. it moves it back, back in its center of gravity you know so that kind of makes sure that uh, um, temperature doesn't really affect the accuracy of the clock and plus i use a, a, a metal that expands very little it's called mm-hmm. invar mm-hmm. it's one of the many materials that you can use and i <laughs> use invar <laughs> so it's got a very low coefficient of thermal expansion which means it expands very little with changes in temperature okay yeah. oh yeah but yeah people use all kinds of materials there are some very very good clocks are made with uh, something called fused uh, silica mm-hmm. um it almost looks like glass you know that pendulum rod okay and i didn't use it because i didn't want this breaking and all that stuff you know like i said I... i'm in a maintenance has been yes. a big uh, <laughs> um, important thing for me so yeah so i used uh, Uh, things where i know nothing can ever go wrong okay so that is why it took you one and a half years now i get it <laughs> well <laughs> this is the ongoing thing you know i mean uh, you use one material later you realize somebody does a research and says like well uh, this is material better than that uh, for instance yeah. i use something called beryllium copper for my springs or the mm-hmm. pendulum mm-hmm. um you know later Uh, somebody comes and says like uh, well phosphor bronze is better mm-hmm. uh so there you go the latest research shows this so i just change the material then you know okay so i there's, think there's no yeah i think you're used to it because you are also an architect so since the materials keep on changing outside you're like ah okay i'll use this now so yeah yeah <laughs> that kind of helped you accept this also yeah yeah absolutely absolutely so Okay. Yeah. So yeah, that's how it works. Okay. Yeah. This this is a lot of details. I couldn't find this on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> uh this this is another query I had. How do you protect your clocks from magnetism? Uh see, uh magnetism is more of a problem in uh what do you say in uh you know, watches and stuff like that. Mhm. Um I mean these were for instance like these pilots watches and everything mm-hmm. uh they were people wanted to make sure that the watches don't get affected by the um, you know the magnet magnets inside the instrumentation of the cockpit and everything mm-hmm. but clocks don't really have a problem with that you know okay so yeah as long as you don't have a very strong magnet anywhere near around, near around it mm-hmm. it should be fine you know it doesn't really um Uh, it doesn't affect, affect that much yeah but in watches people are very particular instead of a most watches have a glass case back right instead they put a metal case back 
for pilots watches just so that the magnetism doesn't affect it oh i mean yeah so with with clocks i mean it's not really that much of a big deal i did not know that thank you for telling me mm-hmm. okay <laughs> because uh, i i don't know if it's uh, it's something that is there in these normal clocks as well i mean whether normal clocks get affected with magnetism because uh, in my old office there was this wall so if you kept the uh-huh. clock on that wall it will not work at all was it on any other wall it will work <laughs> on that wall it will stop working within 5 10 minutes so wow. uh, what what was it a quartz clock or um a quartz clock is something that is run by batteries right yeah 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 it was a quartz clock it was a quartz clock right yes ah okay 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 yeah in which case uh, i don't know there could be some kind of a, you know it might have affected it in some way i'm not sure Yeah I mean even we wouldn't we weren't sure so we decided that this wall is something that is uh, evil for the clock and okay. to shift it to some other wall there was no other option so just, we just went with it it's um, funny there are there are a lot of these basic basic things which have still not been figured out you know like uh, when you hang two clocks on the same wall they start kind of synchronizing you know and no one really knows why really Yeah, there are all kinds of theories, but uh, yeah, I'm going to try this. See that it's been figured out, but I'm not very sure. But it 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 is something that uh, kind of uh, used to be one of those uh, weird sciences, you know. Okay, I'm going to try this. I have one wall clock already. I will just have another one next to it with a slight <laughs> just slight change in time to just check whether they start thinking or not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know what is it about it, but uh, yeah. Okay, so I'll do so. <laughs> um, so Dilip, how much how much does gravity affect the timepieces, and does something like to be on really help? Yeah. See, um, again, uh, uh, see, to be on is more of a um, they use it in watches. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I'll have to get a little technical here. No problem. Um, so, so escapement is what regulates time, okay, in a watch or a clock. Mm-hmm. um so i mean so every time piece needs a power source that that's simple to understand right, right. you need somebody powering it hmm. it could be a battery it could be a wound spring okay or it could be a weight which has been wound again you know so over time the weight comes down and that powers a clock hmm. so you have these multiple ways of powering a time piece and okay. then there's someone else who regulates the time they decide how fast or slow this wheel has to spin Hmm. And that's called the escapement. Okay. Now, now pendulum is a kind of escapement. <laughs> now you obviously cannot wear a pendulum in your watch and walk around, right? <laughs> no. So that's when, yeah. So that's when hairspring was invented. Okay. That's so right. hairspring is a kind of does what a pendulum does, but it, you can you can uh, wear it in your watch, carry it in your car. I mean, initially it used to be ships, so mm-hmm. that you could you know see your see time in your while sailing hmm. so that's when hair springs were invented so that's another way of uh, regulating time so okay. turbion is like a very hair spring uh, based uh, um, escape and mechanism you know mm-hmm. so the the another issue with the hair spring is uh, uh, depending on which way your hand is facing right hmm. if it's a watch 
if okay. it's kept flat to the ground if it's kept vertical whatever there is a slight uh, um, difference in its performance hmm. so uh, turbion is kind of kind of compensates for all that you know it it kind of i mean negates all the uh, demerits that a regular hairspin okay uh, movement basically has okay so yeah so i mean, it's just a very very complex yes it is very uh, complex but thank you for yes thank you for explaining it in a simple way so that you know when i look for it um i will understand what is happening rather than you know just getting confused in the entire mechanism that is happening on uh, the internet honestly i watched a lot of youtube videos i couldn't understand what uh, to be on really yeah, no, it's just really really beautiful the it's beautiful uh, but beyond, uh, yeah, yeah extremely complex yeah so um so 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 the thing is with a clock right you don't expect to carry it and walk around so a pendulum works just fine you know because it's going to be in one place right so it's when you go, when when you need a mobile time pieces when these these kind of complex mechanisms make sense hmm. yes you know so so a turbion would work very well and give you precise time even if you're on the moon you know oh okay and not that i'm planning to go on the moon but if i am <laughs> buy a watch that has a turbion yeah <laughs> so um well dilip how long does it take for you to create a custom made clock if i order one from you um it would take about 16 weeks okay yeah i mean okay. uh, depends on the amount of customization you need you want the whole thing gold gold plated yeah it will take a bit longer okay you know? <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah so i don't know you you want your biography engraved on it yeah well it takes even longer so it totally depends on um, uh, you know uh, the level of What's customization the <laughs> yeah okay so yeah so it takes around 16 weeks i would say do people really engrave their biographies on the clock no not really i was just joking i mean okay uh, thank god but yeah we do we do engrave their names and you know the date when they commissioned the clock and all that okay that makes sense yeah. i'm like i i didn't know people i i really thought people get their biographies engraved uh <laughs> it's possible you know <laughs> so i assumed it was true but okay you cracked the joke i didn't get it oh my god <laughs> <laughs> so um Do you collect watches or clocks, and which are your favorite brands? So I don't exactly collect watches. I mean, I have an HMT, I have an antique Gerard Perrago, mm-hmm. a Hamilton, a Fortis. I don't have anything of recent vintage, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so see, I've been on the lookout for like a good watch also for a long time. Then I had my own set of parameters, you know, in terms of what I wanted in it and everything. So. Yeah, so one of my favorite uh, watchmakers is this uh, brand or this gentleman called Pita Barcelona. Okay. Yeah, so um, I mean, he's just amazing. Okay. I will look yeah, him up. Like a, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I've met this gentleman, and he's like a sort of a mentor to me, also. You know. And, uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. So those are the clocks that you like. I thought you will get into the yeah. clock making business also soon. I mean, sorry, the watch making business also soon. Uh, well, not yet, not yet. But uh, <laughs> yeah, you can't rule it out. Okay, okay. I will be <laughs> waiting. Then I'll get you on the podcast again. Yeah. <laughs> sure, looking forward. 
Yes. Dilip, what is your take on quartz in the watch or clock making world? You know what? Everything has a has its place, right? Now, mm-hmm. you, so you you can't just become snobbish and say that everybody's got to wear a mechanical watch and stuff like that. You know? mm-hmm. So quartz has its place. I mean, quartz right. is really what made watches affordable, you know, in the 70s and 80s. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, even my first watch was a quartz. I, I was a kid. Right. Um, I didn't have a choice. So somebody gave it to me and I wore it, you know. So it was a quartz. Mm-hmm. And I mean, now I'm a bit of a purist now. So to me, an electronic escapement, mm-hmm. should power an electronic display okay like if you've got a battery inside it should power an lcd screen or led screen or whatever you know <laughs> but if you've got a mechanical spring that powers your watch then it has to power a analog display like hands right so what i don't like is mixing the two you know like you put a battery and it's powering analog hands <laughs> so that that's like you know it's not really pure right i mean you're kind of faking a Um, analog watch yeah so that's my only take you know okay so yeah i mean for each his own you know i mean yes, I, i can't really um yeah you know completely i don't personally uh, <laughs> like to wear one that doesn't mean it's wrong for them to exist so yes because i think my first watch i mean my even the watch that i own now is a quartz watch and the first one as you said it is very affordable right uh, so the first one that i had was yeah, yeah. was just 300 bucks oh wow okay it just costed 300 bucks and i was a very small kid like i, I think i was an 8th or 9th and that is what i got as a gift and it lasted for oh, okay. 12 years it is still there it is just i mean it's just lying in my cupboard i don't feel like throwing it away yeah yeah nothing ever <laughs> goes wrong with these things you know they're simple machines actually yes so yes it's important that they exist and as you said that yeah but we have to coexist with them to eat his own yeah absolutely i mean you consider this as like craftsmanship if you have the time to look at your watch uh, you know kind of be amazed by it every time you look at it and everything then you totally deserve to get yourself a mechanical watch you know but if it's just going to get lost as one of those ga- many gadgets that you use for your everyday thing then you really don't need to um, you know put in so much thought into what you wear as long as you know what the time is and you reach the airport yeah absolutely time. absolutely just like there are many personalities on earth right i mean yes you just have that many products also i guess agreed completely agreed so how are you balancing your life as an architect and a horologist i hope i pronounced it right this time yeah i mean it's horology with a the h is sort of silent oh okay it's horology <laughs> yeah oh. so okay yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, it, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, as long as you know this profession is called horology, it's already already great. You know? So, <laughs> thank you. But I learned the pronunciation. I still messed it up. Okay, no problem. Next time. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. So, so how are you yeah, balancing? I mean, yeah, I don't know. I think there is a very nice balance to the two. You know, see, part of my day I'm dimensioning my drawings in microns, and other time, other times I'm dimensioning them in meters. So that change in <laughs> sometimes it's just breathtaking you know i mean it, it sort of reminds me of this movie by charles eames called power of 10 you know mm-hmm. they kind of zo- zoom out from a cell in the human body all the way to the galaxies you know oh yeah okay. so 
I don't know between these two kind of these two extremes, they they both look the same. Uh-huh. When you uh, so I don't know, it just feels like that sometimes. You know, I mean the change in scale. Okay. No, I yeah. mean I I have not watched the movie, but I'm putting it in my list. I just added yeah. it. Uh, <laughs> that sounds quite interesting. The way you look, uh, your perspective is quite interesting about things. and uh, i really like the comparison between you know working in microns and working in meters it's the same yeah, thing yeah. Uh, precision is what is important in both the cases yeah and you're balancing it well nice and sometimes see we can get a little bit unreasonable you know in terms of our expectations like in terms of um perfection mm-hmm. uh and times when you kind of i'm like polishing a little part and then i i'm still not happy with how well i have done it hmm. then i figure i'm looking through a 10x look you know like the the <laughs> magnifier that you wear yes. and you take it off and it looks perfect so so it's only when you look at it in that detail that you can kind of figure that there is like some level of imperfection now let's assume you perfect it and hmm. you wear a 20x loop you figure hmm. that it's still not perfect you know? yes so you really need to know where to stop you know so that's very important that is true <laughs> and uh, so, as you said we keep on running yeah. behind perfection and well it can never be perfect and that tiny imperfection is what makes it unique absolutely absolutely and we all we all like kind of operate within a spectrum of this perceivable perfection you know hmm. so so yeah so you need to just let go i feel you know <laughs> I think I think that letting go is what is perfection. Ha! Uh, that takes a lot of effort, and I think that is the most yeah. difficult part. <laughs> But uh, you make it so, sound easy, so hopefully people who are listening in. Oh, no, it is not easy. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I probably make it sound like that, but I'm also struggling myself. But uh, yeah. yeah, with regard to spectrum, you know, I don't know where how wide it needs to be or how narrow it needs to be. So, okay, hope you find it soon. Hope you find the imperfect yeah. perfection. Yeah. Uh, which actually works well for you and for your clocks <laughs> so that will that will hopefully help you so do you like your work as a clockmaker is the work repetitive or does it keep bringing forth new challenges um i mean like i said i mean there's no end to it huh? like in terms of that well even if you consider this uh, that that perfection is got a narrow spectrum like i said but you keep trying to expand it so okay. Uh, yeah so it keeps you on your uh, on your toes you know all the time like mm-hmm. uh, you always like trying to uh, find a new material that probably has like less demerits compared to the other one that you've been using so there's always like some boundary you're trying to push so it kind of yeah it, it doesn't get uh, uh, a boring one bit actually okay okay yeah, yeah. and there's always a new type of clock that you can always think of making that you've been thinking of making for a while so if you do get find the time yeah i try to invest my time into that okay and anyway precision regulator clock is still on the board drawing board it is yet it is yeah it is on the board i have another moon face that is again on the works which okay. i haven't had time to work on so yeah so <laughs> okay i'll keep following your work this is interesting so once you uh, post something new i'll make sure i share it with my listeners as well sure sure <laughs> so um I think we've already discussed this, but what do you think is the future of watchmaking profession? Um, see, you know what I think. They, I, I see. I get the feeling that there's going to be a surge, you know, in the future. Mm-hmm. I mean, like there are many people that are moving back to 
uh, uh, the way things were once upon a time and you yeah. know uh, I, I don't know whether it's like riding bicycles or, um, you know, uh, see, once you've, you know, your aspirations are done and dusted, then sometimes like you see things, uh, there's much more romance in the way things were done once upon a time, you know? Yes. So, I, I mean, I do see that there's going to be a surge in the future. Okay. Uh, where people kind of invest time and money in, uh, you know, mechanical watches and uh, basically nice things, <laughs> you know? See, you're, you're not going to pass on your Casio to your grandchildren, you know. I mean, it's it's most often a nice mechanical watch that you're going to pass on. So, till the time you know and you can tell the difference between the two, I think yes. there is going to be interest. Hmm. Agreed. Completely hmm. agreed. Yeah, yeah I, I hope there's a surge also because uh, um, somewhere there's a point, you reach a point, right? You have achieved everything you have done, whatever your peers have done and uh, yeah. your goals are set. And after a certain period of time, you feel that whatever your parents were telling you, that was actually right. What matters more yeah. is your health or being uh, active all day, doing things you like, being with your family. Those things we kind of try to mess up when we're going and finding um, our goals. But absolutely. you tend to come back to your roots after a point. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, people absolutely. will too, in terms of clock making, come back to the roots and... Uh, the mass production that is happening, like every dial is new, everything looks beautiful, but then the beauty of the originality of the watch is something that is yeah, yeah. to look forward to. Yeah, and yeah, th there's an individual behind that craft, right? I mean, sometimes you need to, yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, you need to kind of uh, understand that. Yeah. It's very important. And understand the individual, their perspective, and what brought them to make this beautiful piece take this particular piece and yeah so uh, Dilip coming to the last question finally um, this is something that I ask everybody and it's called what is your definition of settled well <laughs> I'm not very <laughs> sure I'm the right person to answer that question so um, like I don't know I'm making clocks right now tomorrow I don't know what I'm going to make you know <laughs> so, so so in my case like I've understood that you know <laughs> so uh, the day I realized I'm never going to settle, I think for me, that's the day I settled really, you know, <laughs> that I accepted it. Yeah. So like they say, you know, change is the only constant. So I yeah. just go where the wind blows and yeah. So that's, that's what I've, uh, that's what I think is settling, you know, Right. once you accept that. Okay. So accepting unsettling for you is being settled. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, that, that is what I'm propagating also because everyone around you will ask you to settle down but they don't know what settled means because life keeps on throwing you curveballs and you have to keep on handling them no matter what so absolutely. honestly you're never settled in life absolutely absolutely okay so Dilip so, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your knowledge and you know making me as a layman understand how your clocks work and the different mechanisms that go behind it. And for being so patient while you're saying all these things. Thank you so hey, much for doing yeah. this. Sure, sure, sure. Thanks a lot, Amrita. It was wonderful talking to you. It was wonderful talking to you as well. So, um, Dilip, is there any website or a page where people can get in touch with you? Um, yeah, it's there's, I've got a website. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I hardly update it. But yeah, there is still... <laughs> 
you, you uh, there is still some basic information regarding what i do <laughs> it's uh, dshivraman.com okay that's shivraman without an h yes <laughs> i will i will yeah. adding i will be adding the links in the description anyway so um Sure. I hope people do get in touch with you and learn more about Gato Lesko and the clocks that are still on the drawing board. And sure, sure, sure. <laughs> and you can follow him on Instagram as well. That is where I got in touch with him. So I will be adding the links to his Instagram page, and you can always talk to him if you have any more questions. I hope that's okay. Oh, you're asking me now? Yeah, yeah. I hope that's okay. Okay, yeah, yeah. That's perfectly fine. That's perfectly fine, Amrita. Thanks a lot. Okay, thank you so much. Yeah, sure, Amrita. It was it was really nice uh, chatting with you. <laughs> it was nice talking to you as well. The pleasure is all mine, honestly. I'm so glad that I found you. Hi! If you can hear this, that means you have reached the end of the episode. So like, share, subscribe, follow. Stay tuned to Unsettling. And if you want to get in touch with me, you can always reach out to me on my Instagram page, Amrita Sukumar underscore Unsettling, or send me an email on podcast dot unsettling dot as at gmail dot com. Hope to hear from you soon. Bye.